So, <laughs> but if anyone wants a file, I can send it to them. <laughs> I have no idea. What are you talking about? So you need to understand that the fun of creativity is sometimes just being willing to be a good thief. So as Connor talked about this, and he was, he was going, I said, oh, that's such a good idea. So, um, so but I, I won't, I, I'll save this. <laughs> I'll save this one too. <laughs> now, if anyone needs to borrow them, let me know. But... Uh, <laughs> Now he's sitting there saying, okay, I need to do something to get him back. <laughs> so I, I said to Connor earlier today, I, as we were saying, I just need your picture real quick. And he goes, okay. And he stood against the wall and after I took the picture, I went, oh. <laughs> so, fun, fun, fun. Well, this morning we're going to continue in our series of prequels. And we're going to be looking at the story of Ruth. And she's a really interesting individual. She's a foreigner. She's a person who would typically not be considered in the uh, genealogy of Jesus, except that God put her there. And she was an outsider that God folded in. And so we're going to talk about her a little bit. And, um, but before we do that, let's go to the Lord together in prayer. And Father, I just ask this morning that as we spend some time around your word, as we chew and think about what's going on with Ruth and, and, and how you're revealing yourself and showing yourself and making yourself known to us in different ways, Father, I would ask that you would just guide our time, and we ask this in Jesus' precious name, amen. Now, up to this point, we've kind of looked at individuals that have been questionable, okay, that are part of Jesus' genealogy. People that are there and, and you go, that's the story. And, you know, that's the, that's the kind of story you tell and to, to whoo, make hair curl a little bit and that kind of stuff. But the story of Ruth is a different story. So as I think of Ruth, and if you see this on the outlines, I just we can just go right there. Ruth and Boaz were amazing role models in Jesus' lineage. Amazing role models. So you have, and all of us have this, don't we? In our, in our history lines, in our, in our genealogies, somewhere down there, we have individuals that we can look at and we're going to go, boy, these are people worth learning about. These are people worth emulating. These are per- people worth considering how I might live like them, just as we all have people in our genealogy where we go, there is some stuff here that would be good for me to avoid. Ruth and Boaz are two of those individuals where you can look at them and say, boy, these are people that I can really learn from. These are people that I could benefit from emulating. So let's look at a couple of things. First of all, let's go to Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. And again, what do we see there as we look at Matthew 1, verse 5? We see again the genealogy of Jesus. And what's the, So did I put that? I didn't do that right. You know, you know how every once in a while you do things, you don't do it right? And that's one of those things I didn't do it right. So let me just read it. So because I stopped where I should have continued. So Solomon, father of Boaz, by Rahab. And then Boaz, father of Obed, by Ruth. Obed, father of Jesse, and Jesse, father of King, fathered King David. And so as you kind of see the process and the progression, this is an important story because we're talking about David's 
ancestors, Jesus' ancestors, people that David probably knew, great-grandpa, maybe. Great-grandma. Kind of cool stuff. Well, let's go on to a couple of things, and let's pick up on the story of Ruth, because there's a number of things going on in the story of Ruth that I want to look at and I want to highlight for us today. And here's some of the things, and you're going to see them there. And the best way to look at this is this kind of read through some of the story and highlight some of those values. So when we think about people worth modeling, worth emulating, worth seeing, number of things take place in the whole story. And I just and, we, and I wrote them out here so you can see this. You see issues of loyalty. You see the values of faith. You see the issues of integrity. Now, let's just pause for a second. We're going to get there in a few minutes when we read in, in chapter 2. But when, we'll, we'll, when we get there, I'll, I'll explain it. But you have issues of integrity, issues of indu- industriousness. You're going to see a person who's very industrious, both, both, both Ruth and Boaz. You're going to see generosity. You're going to see courage. In particular for Ruth, there's, there's just a number of different areas of courage, but the first area of courage we're going to see is we're going to see courage to follow her mother-in-law and to leave her people and to go to Bethlehem. Incredible courage. This is a person, and these are people worth emulating. These are per- people that we can look at and say, these are examples to follow. Well, let's start. We won't read all of the starting part, parts of it, but Naomi and her family, famine in the land, they move to Moab. As they move to Moab, they have two boys, their boys get married. Naomi's husband dies, boys die, and now we pick up at verse 6. And she and her daughter-in-laws set out to return to the territory from the territory of Moab because she had heard in Moab that the Lord had paid attention to his people's need by providing food, but by providing them food. She left the place where she had been living accompanied by her two daughters-in-law and traveled along the road leading them to the land of Judah. Naomi said to them, each of you go back to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to, to you as you have shown kindness to the dead and to me. So they both started to leave with her. They both were involved in packing up the things and taking the few things that they were going to take with them back to, to Bethlehem and they started to go. But then somewhere in the journey, Naomi stops and says, listen, may the Lord grant each of you rest in the house of a new husband. She kissed them and they wept loudly and she's sending them back and she's saying, listen, you don't need to follow me. You don't need to come back with me. Go back to your home. Go back to your people. Go back to the life you had before you met me and my husband and your husbands. Go back and be with your families, and start a new life. They said to her, We insist on returning with you to your people. But Naomi replied, Return home, my daughters. Why do you want to go with me? Am I able to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return return home, my daughters. Go on, for I am too old to have another husband. Even if you thought there was still hope for me to have a husband tonight and to bear sons. Would you be willing to wait for them to grow up? Would you restrain yourselves from remarrying? No, my daughters, my life is much too bitter to share 
for you to share. Because of the Lord's hand has turned against me. Again, they wept loudly, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Naomi said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Follow your sister-in-law. Now, I'm going to read the next passage. And now, oftentimes, we read this passage, and this is a passage used during a wedding ceremony. Many people use it in that context today, and, and one person will read it to the other. And, 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 and often, a, a, a bride will read it to her husband. But listen to what she says, because this is not what's going on. This is a commitment that Ruth is making to her mother-in-law. Do not plead with me to abandon you or to return and not follow you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me and do severely if anything but death separates you and me. Incredible loyalty, incredible devotion, incredible commitment to her mother-in-law. As she stepped out of her home and became a part of Naomi's household when she married Naomi's son, Ruth was making a commitment, not just to her husband, but to her new family. And now in this process, as her sister-in-law returns, Ruth says, no, I am not going. I am not leaving. I am going to go with you. Incredible character. Just incredible. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped asking her. And it says, and then the two of them traveled until they came to Bethlehem, and they returned home. But again, I want you to see, as we start looking at the genealogy of Jesus and the history of Jesus, in his genealogy are people that we could say are scoundrels or stories that you, you, you tell around the campfire and, you, know, and you, you pull out the family secrets that you sometimes tell. But this is one of those stories you tell it bedtime that you want to remind your kids and teach your kids. And these are the stories you tell as you seek to instill character and, and other values that are significant and meaningful. Why? Because we're seeing someone here who's of deep substance and deep character. And she is devoting herself to her mother-in-law. But again, Ruth and Naomi are not the only key characters in this story. We also have Boaz, who's also a key character in this whole story. And what's amazing is that as you look at Boaz, you see that same character and that same substance being borne out as you look at his life. So let's let's go on and let's look at chapter 2. Now it would seem that they probably got to Bethlehem a little before April or a little before some of the harvesting takes place. Because as we read through this, we're going to read about the barley and the wheat harvests. And the period of time between those two is somewhere between six to eight weeks. 
So as we read through chapter 2 and look at chapter 2, we're talking about something that's transpiring over about six to eight weeks. We're not talking about something that happens in a week. It's over a period of time. Now, by the way, how long does it take you to see someone's character? Sometimes not very long at all. People's character can be borne out fairly clearly and fairly quickly as things hit and as life happens. Particularly when we sometimes just watch. And that's part of what's going on here. There is just watching and observing and seeing. There's no intention to try to impress one person or another. There's just the living out of life. And, and for Naomi and for Ruth, it's a hard life. It's a challenging life. It's a stressful life. Now for Boaz, it's the, it's the life of a person who's fairly well off, a person who is, has resources. But even then, as you look at both of them, as they just kind of live out in this little snippet of time, you see the reality of their character being born out. It doesn't take long because their character just flows out of them in the context of life in which they live. It says, now Naomi had a relative of her household, of her husband's side. He was a prominent, excuse me. He was a prominent man of noble character from Elimelech's family. His name was Boaz. Ruth the Moabitess, the Moabitess asked Naomi, will you let me go to the fields and gather fallen grain behind someone with whom I find favor? You see the initiation? She's initiating. Ruth, can I, Naomi, can I go to the fields, identify people with whom, who will be, welcome me in their fields to do this? Can I do that and go and, and collect? Now, here's what I was going to, I paused earlier to identify. When you read through the law, God established some context. Now, in our culture, around, the, I think somewhere in the 40s or maybe a little bit earlier, we put in some of the welfare system. Because as we looked at some of the issues that exist in our culture, we said, how do we help those in need who are really struggling, really hurting, and don't have a support system, a support network to help them and to provide some care and assistance for them in periods of trial and hardship? God accomplished that and established that in the law. Now, the big difference is that God created the context in which those that were needy and those who had little would be able to find sustenance and provide for themselves, but they would need to work to do that. And in in this particular context, what would take place is when they would go to the fields and they would harvest. Now, you didn't have big combines and other things coming through and taking everything out, you had laborers and you had people in the fields They would have a sickle, they would cut the grain, they would tie it into bundles, and then they would take it to the side of the field, they would stack it, they would keep on doing that, and then they would take it to the threshing floor where they would then beat the grain and get the grain out and all that kind of stuff. But God established a structure, God established a framework, and he said a couple of things. Two key things I want you to do that will help the needy in our community, so that those who have need and those who don't have resources can be provided for. Number one, don't clean out your field right to the corners. So you have a nice square field, clean in an oval. Leave the corners. So that when people have need, they can come and there's something there available for them to get. 
And when you're going through the field and you're bundling stuff up and things drop and fall and, and things fall behind you, don't go back and clean it all up. Leave that for those that come behind and they can then pick that up and glean that or take that and they will be provided for and they will be cared for. And what Naomi was talking, or what Ruth was talking to Naomi about is, Naomi, God has established a structure. God has established a framework for us to be provided for. We've just gotten here. We have nothing. It's harvest season. Do I have your blessing to go to the fields where I will find favor from somebody, where someone who will be honoring the principles of God, who will be honoring the structures that God gave in the law, and so I can go to a place like that where harvest is taking place and find favor. Now, here's the reality. Did everyone honor God? No. But Ruth went to the fields and she went to the field of Boaz because Boaz was a man honoring the structures and the framework that God established. Keep on going. Naomi's answered her, Go ahead, my daughter. So Ruth left and entered the field to gather grain behind the harvesters. She happened to be in the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was from Elimelech's family. I love how that says that. Happened. No, Naomi didn't direct her there. Naomi didn't point her in that direction. She just happened to be there. But again, I would say this. She just happened to be there, but she went to the field, she went to the area where people were following, were honoring the structures that God had given. We will talk about that in a little bit in the providence of God, but I love divine coincidence. And I would suggest to you that divine coincidence is not nearly as coincidental as we sometimes might think. Later, verse 4, when Boaz arrived from Bethlehem, he said to the harvesters, now, Bethlehem is not too far, okay? Not too far from, from where he is in the fields. So, so when, when Boaz arrived from Bethlehem, to, he said to the harvesters, the Lord be with you, the Lord bless you, they replied. Boaz asked his servants who was in charge of the har- harvesters, Whose young woman is this? He gets to his field, he sees his workers, and then he sees someone behind his workers working. Who's that? Normal, typical, who's in my field? Now, you know, he's not going to chase her away. Who's this? And the servant answered, She is a young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the territory of Moab. She asked, Will you let me gather fallen grain among the bundles behind the harvester? She came and has been on her feet since early morning, except that she rested a little in the shelter. What do we see? The industrious. She's working hard. She's an industrious individual. Then Boaz said to to Ruth, Listen, my daughter, don't go and gather grain in another field, and don't leave this one, but stay here close to my female servants. See which field they are harvesting, and follow them. Haven't I ordered the young men not to touch you when they are thirsty? Go and drink, and from the jars of the young men, the, the jars the young men have filled. And what does he do? He's a man of integrity. He's providing a framework and a structure where she can now care for herself and Naomi in a safe environment. Again, you see, it doesn't take long to see the character and the integrity of people pouring out. 
She fell face down, bowed to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor with you, so that you notice me, although I am a foreigner? And Boaz answered her, Everything you have done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death has been fully reported to me. How you left your father and mother in your native land, and how you came to a people you didn't previously know. May the Lord regard, reward you for what you have done, and you will receive a full reward from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge." Again, what do we see? We're seeing the integrity and the character of both individuals being seen. Naomi comes back to town without her family, and yet right behind her or right beside her is Ruth, and the story goes throughout the town. And it's a story of integrity, it's a story of devotion, it's a story of loyalty, and the stories get to Boaz's ears. Again, what are we seeing? We're seeing the reality and the substance of integrity and character being seen and reported and heard. It all bears out. When she got up to gather grain, Boaz ordered his young men, let her gather grain among the bundles and don't humiliate her. Now, was he saying, if she gets too close to the stuff we put aside, don't scold her. Don't give her a hard time. Again, just graciousness. Graciousness. Pull out some of the stalks from the bundles for her and leave them for her to gather. Don't rebuke her. So Ruth gathered grain in the field until evening. She beat out what she had gathered, and it was about 26 quarts of barley. She picked up the grain and went into the town where her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She brought out what she had left over from her meal and, and, and gave it to her. Her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you gather barley today and, and where did you work? May the Lord bless the man who noticed you. And Ruth told her mother-in-law whom she had worked with and said, The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May the Lord bless him because he has not abandoned his kindness to the living or the dead, Naomi continued. The man is a close relative. He is one of our family redeemers. Ruth the Moabite said, He also told me, Stay with my young men until they have finished all of my harvest. So Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Ruth, My daughter, it is good for you to work with his female servants so that nothing will happen to you in another field. Ruth stayed close to Boaz's female servants and gathered until the barley and wheat harvests were finished, six to seven weeks, maybe eight weeks, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Now, we walk through that. And again, what do we see? We see the integrity and character of the individuals involved. We see loyalty, we see faith, we see integrity, we see generosity, we see industriousness, we see courage. All of these amazing, wonderful qualities going on in the life of both Ruth and Boaz. These are examples, and these are, this is a lineage that you rejoice in and you celebrate in. Now, what we also see going on is we see the principles of the kinsman redeemer. This is a big deal. This is not a little deal. This is a big deal. Now, as the story goes through, we see, we see two echoes and we see two clear statements. Let's first of all look at the two echoes. Chapter 1, verses 11 to 13. Let's go back up and look at that. It says, now, so as Naomi is talking to her daughter... 
to her two daughters-in-law, both of them. This is what she says. But Naomi replied, return home, my daughters. Why do you want to go with me? Am I able to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. Go on, for I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me to have a husband tonight and to bear sons, would you be willing to wait for them to grow up? Would you restrain yourselves from remarrying? No, my daughters, my life is much too bitter for you to share. She wasn't explicitly talking about home. She didn't go into the whole conversation of kinsman redeemer, but but that was a kinsman redeemer conversation. Girls, I'm not going to have any more kids. I'm not going to, and I don't expect to have any more sons. There's not going to be. I can't provide a kinsman redeemer for you. Go back to your people. Go back. What's the other echo? Down in in chapter 2, verses 19 to 20. Her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you gather barley today? And where did you work? May the Lord bless the man who noticed you. And Ruth told her mother-in-law whom she had worked with, The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May the Lord bless him, because he has not abandoned his kindness to the living or the dead. Naomi continued, The man is a close relative. He is one of our family redeemers. Again, a hint an indication. Now, here's where I think so the, 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 the key things are going on in this. And we're going to touch on this in number four, where every story has a purpose. But God is retelling and reminding the story, and he's giving an example of the story of the kinsman redeemer. Now, there's explicitness that starts to happen in this whole story. So let's look at chapter three, and then we'll go on to chapter four. But let's look at verses one to 13. This is the harvest is done. Okay, so Ruth has been working in the fields for about six to eight weeks. She's been harvesting and doing all the things that need to be done to provide for her and her mother-in-law. All this time, she is watching and seeing how Boaz functions, and Boaz is watching her and seeing how she functions. And they're seeing the functionality of each other's integrity and substance. Now, I love what happens here. Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, shouldn't I find rest for you so that you will be taken care of? Now, isn't Boaz our relative? Haven't you been working with his female servants this evening? He will be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, oil, and wear your best clothes. Go down to the threshing floor, but don't let the man know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. And when he lies down, notice the place where he is lying. Go in and uncover his feet and lie down. Then he will explain to you what what you should do. Now, pause for a second. We're dealing with cultural stuff, but we're not talking about someone propositioning someone for the evening. So some people talk about this and they say that this might be what's, what's going on. This is not what's going on at all. But she is identifying, and Naomi is saying to Ruth, Ruth, Go to Boaz and identify to him your desire that he would be the one who would redeem you and be your kinsman redeemer. Now, I love the fact that it's being initiated by Naomi and not by Ruth. But I also love the fact that Naomi is honoring her mother-in-law. And again, you see the aspects of integrity, trust, respect, all those things going on. 
So Ruth said to her, I will do everything you say. She went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law had charged her to do. After Boaz drank, drank and was in good spirits, he went to lie down at the end of the pile of barley, and she came secretly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. At midnight, Boaz was startled, turned over, and there lying at his feet was a woman. So he asked her, Who are you? I am Ruth, your servant, she replied. Let me be under your wing, for you are a family redeemer. Then he said, May the Lord bless you, my daughter. You have shown more kindness now than before because you have not pursued younger men, whether rich or poor. Now don't be afraid, my daughter. I will do for you whatever you say, since all the people in my town know that you are a woman of noble character. She's there, what, eight weeks, or eight weeks nine weeks? And again, how long does it take to see the integrity and character of the person born out? Not very long. Yes, it is true that I am a family redeemer, but there is a redeemer closer than I am. Stay here tonight and in the morning. If he wants to redeem you, that's good. Let him redeem you. But if he does not want to redeem you as the Lord lives, I will now lie down until the morning. You see now the explicit pursuit of the kinsman redeemer process. Let's go on to chapter 4. Second, clear, clear Statement, verses 1 to 12. Boaz went to the gate of the town and sat down there. Soon the family redeemer Boaz had spoken about came by. And Boaz said, come over here and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Then Boaz took ten men of the town's elders and said, now this is becoming a legal process. This is no longer just a com- not just a conversation. This now is becoming a legal process. They're semi-holding court. Sit here, and they sat down. He said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has returned from the territory of Moab, is selling the portion of fields that belong to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should inform you. Buy buy it back in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you want to redeem it, do it. But you must... But if you do... But if you do not want to redeem it, tell me, tell me so that I will know because there, there isn't anyone other than you to redeem it and I am next after you. Keep on going. I want to redeem it, he answered. I'll buy it. I'll extend my property. I'll extend my land. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the field from Naomi, you will acquire Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the deceased man, to perpetuate the man's name on his property. The the Redeemer replied, "I I can't redeem it myself or I will ruin my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption because I can't redeem it. He says, yes, I want the property, but as soon as he realizes it comes with strings attached, it comes with obligation, It comes with the fulfillment of the structure that God laid out. He's out. I don't want it. At an earlier period in Israel, man removed his sandal and gave it to the other party in order to make any matter legally binding concerning the right of redemption or the exchange of property. This uh, This was the method of legally binding a transaction in Israel. Again, Everyone has their traditions and their routines. This is theirs. 
So the Redeemer removed his sandal and said to Boaz, Buy back the property yourself. Boaz said to the elders of all the people, You are witnesses today that I am buying from Naomi everything that belonged to Elimelech, Chilion, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabitess, Malon's wife, widow, as my wife, to perpetuate the deceased man's name on his property, so that his name will be will not disappear among the relatives from all the from from the gate of his home hometown. You are witnesses today. All the people who are at the city gate, including the elders, said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is entering your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built the house of Israel. May, may you be powerful in, Ephra, in Ephrata, in your name well known in Bethlehem. May your house become like the house of Perez, the, same, the son Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring the Lord had given you by this young woman. And so Boaz took Ruth to be and she became his wife. He slept with her, and the Lord granted conception to her, and she gave birth to a son. Now you come back, and you ask the question again, why does God tell the stories that he tells? And I think God is telling this story for a purpose. Because this is the primary story that I'm aware of in the Old Testament to tell the story of the kinsman redeemer. You know, there are times when we tell stories and we have things that take place and we, and we don't, we tell the stories so we don't forget. Until I read it. Did anyone remember you sealed the deal by trading a sandal or a shoe? Okay, it's the deal. Here's a shoe. No, today in our culture, we need lawyers and contracts and signatures. We need it in duplicate and triplicate. We have a whole different routine and pattern, but we have these things down to remind us. And this is a story to remind us of the importance of the kinsman redeemer. And throughout scripture and culturally, it's understood. What's interesting to me going on here is no one in this, involved in this conversation is looking at these things and thinking of these things as foreign ideas or foreign concepts. As Naomi is leaving the land and as she's talking to her two daughters-in-law and she touches on the idea of kinsman redeemer but they don't say to her Naomi can you pause for a second that is a strange idea can you what are you talking about I don't understand no they totally understood because it was just part of the 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 cultural world it was it was it was what they breathed in and lived that's what they understood it was just part of the cultural language everyone got it when they got to Bethlehem And then Boaz collects these ten guys at the city gate to have a conversation. They all got it. It was all part of the cultural language. It was was understood. This was not some secretive thing. This was not some, okay, we're going to have our secret meeting, and we're going to have our secret handshakes, and then we're going to have our secret events take place. There's nothing behind closed doors, nothing secret going on here. It was something that was everyone understood. But God also understood something. Over time, we forget things. We just forget things. This is one of the things that we miss as a loved one passes away, isn't it? 
One, we miss them because we, we, we love them. But the other thing that we miss is we miss our connection to the history that they have ownership of. In the stories that they would tell. And, and, and we can't, we recognize now, we can't go back and we say, Hey mom, hey dad, or hey grandma, hey grandpa, can you remind us of? It doesn't exist anymore. How many of you can go up to Jersey City and find out where the stables were? I say Jersey City because my parents grew up in Jersey City, and so my grandpa knew Jersey City. But now my grandparents and my dad, mom and dad probably have showed me the stables. I still love the stories that my mom would tell, that grandpa would run out behind the horses as they would go down Main Street. And grandpa had, grandma and grandpa lived on the boulevard, and so grandpa would run out of the street and scoop up the, the horse manure, the horse droppings from the middle of the street, because he would throw them in his garden. The horses were in town. But we don't know where those things are anymore. A historian would. Why? Because those things get lost. Because the people that know them lose them unless someone writes it down and records it. And that's what God is doing with the whole story of Boaz and Ruth and Naomi. He's reminding us of the importance of a kinsman redeemer. Now, God lays the groundwork for this. For this. Let's go to the law. In the giving of the law. Leviticus chapter 25 verses 23 to 25. He says, The land is not to be permanently sold because it is mine. This is not your land. This is my land. And I'm allowing you to live there. But I want you to understand whose it is and and where your blessing comes from. And you are only aliens and temporary residents on my land. You are to allow the redemption of any land you occupy. If your brother becomes destitute and sells a part of his property, his nearest relative may come and redeem what his brother has sold. If a, and it goes on. But we see the foundation and the giving and the reminding of the whole concept and issue of a family redeemer to restore to us that which is lost. And God is starting to paint a picture that is a spiritual picture of what God is going to do. And we see it in a couple other areas. Probably the one who talks about this the most, most other than the story of Ruth, is Isaiah. But I want to stop, take a first stop in Proverbs, because Proverbs touches on, or not Proverbs, Psalms, David touches on it. And it says, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. See, this was something understood now in the culture that as God was laying a framework and a groundwork for the kinsman redeemer, God was also starting to lay the groundwork to say, you need to understand, just as we see the outworking of kinsman redeemer values and principles in our culture and in our society, I want you to understand that I also am going to be your redeemer. Isaiah. Chapter 47, verse 4. What does he say? The Holy One of Israel is our Redeemer. 
The Lord of armies is his name. Talking about God's redeeming them out of Babylon. The Lord is our redeemer. Isaiah chapter 59, verse 20. He says, the Redeemer will come to Zion and to those in Jacob who turn from transgression. This is the Lord's declaration. See, it's great to have stories in our heritage. It's fun to have that campfire story of the scoundrels of our history and our heritage to kind of tell those stories around the campfire. But it's even better to have the stories of those who are of amazing character and integrity that we can tell those stories to our kids and our grandkids as we seek to pass on a heritage to our kids that they will take ownership of and be shaped by. But in the midst of all of this, God is also telling a different story, a deeper story, a more important story. And God is telling the story of our redemption, of the reality that we are going to need to be redeemed. We're going to need to be restored to that which has been lost. And we need a kinsman redeemer. We need someone who's part of the family. Now what's interesting in the story of Ruth and Boaz, there was a closer redeemer. But he did not want to do it. He was an unwilling redeemer. He said, I'm not willing. I'm not going to do it. I am not going to redeem. But Boaz said, I am willing to redeem. I will redeem. He had the ability and the willingness. And this is what's amazing as we lead and we look up to the coming of Jesus. Because we needed someone who was going to redeem us, who was going to restore to us that which has been lost, who's going to restore to us those things that were taken away because of rebellion and because of sin. And it's in Jesus that we are redeemed. It is in Jesus that we are restored. It is in Jesus that we recapture all that was lost when Adam chose to sin. But we needed a kinsman. We needed someone like us to do that. But someone who was also willing to do that. And I I think it's amazing how God tells a story, but God lays it in the history of his heritage and in the history of the lineage of Jesus so that it doesn't get lost. And he tells the story so that the significance and meaning of a redeemer does not get forgotten as cultures and realities and culture change. There's one more thing that I said to you earlier that I want to point out. Don't lose sight of the providence of God. We can look at this whole story and we can say it's just a story of coincidence. One coincidence after another coincidence. What a coincidence 
that Ruth said, I'm not going to leave you. What a coincidence that they go to Bethlehem. What a coincidence that Ruth gathers in the field of Boaz. And what a coincidence that Boaz is a family redeemer. And what a coincidence that Boaz is willing to be a redeemer. And what a coincidence that he has the resources to be able to redeem. What a coincidence. I don't think it's a coincidence at all. But it's the outworking of the providence of God, the graciousness of God, godly people, men and women of integrity and character, honoring and following and listening to God. And reality of how God is just guiding their steps as they listen and as they follow. The amazing providence of God. I want to encourage you not to lose sight of the providence of God and, and to look for that in your life. I would suggest to you that if you are paying attention to the work of God in your life, if you are learning to follow God and to listen to God and to honor God as you organize your steps of life, I fully expect that you're going to be seeing the providential care, the providential guidance of God in your steps is he guides you along the way and you turn around and you look back and you go, ooh, what a coincidence. Or you turn around and look back and go, it is so cool to see how God has been guiding my steps, how God is providing, to see how God has been just meeting my needs and guiding my steps to bring me to this point here so that all of these things are working out apparently just the ways that God had intended and desired. Don't lose sight of the providence of God and the way that God works in us and through us. God wants to use us in the lives of people when we're willing to be used. Ruth was willing to follow her mother-in-law. Ruth was willing to allow Naomi's God to become her God. Boaz was a man of integrity and character. A godly man. And as both of them sought to live in godly character and integrity, God's hand was at work doing amazing things. And God reminded us of this story because of his providence, because of his grace, and I also think because of the reminder of the importance of a kinsman redeemer. Because Christmas is about the coming of that redeemer. And Easter is about that Redeemer redeeming. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so very much for your rich goodness to us and for the amazing ways that you provide for us. You meet our needs. Father, you are rich and good. Father, thank you for your good care over us. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans 8.28 says, We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose.
Love the story of Ruth because you see how God is in control and how God provides for those who know him. Like in Ruth, you see God's providence and God's sovereignty on every single page. Ruth and Naomi had no idea from the beginning that God was not only going to provide for them and their family, but he was going to provide eventually David, which would eventually lead to Jesus coming here as fully God, fully man, dying on the cross for our sins. I know for you, life might feel crushing and hopeless and bitter, like Naomi said. But you can know that God is good and sovereign. And just because things seem like there is no purpose doesn't mean that's true. God has a purpose for everything he does. What happened this past weekend in the Midwest, especially in Kentucky, with all those tornadoes? God is in control and sovereign. And if you are here and you have believed in Jesus, do you trust that God is in control and that he provides? God provides for you every single morning when you wake up. Because if you have believed in Jesus, you wake up a Christian. And that's only because God is in control and provides for you. And if you are here and you have not believed in Jesus, know that the one true God that we worshiped provided ultimately by sending his son to die on the cross to take the punishment for your sins if you believe in him as your only hope from eternal separation from him. Trust in him. Talk to Pastor Andrew or myself if you have questions on that. And what we're going to do now is we're going to pray. An offering plate will pass from the back forward. And we give so that we can keep proclaiming this message of hope here in Tom's River, but so that the missionaries we support can share that message around the world. And then what we're going to do is, as the plate passes you, we're going to stand up and we're going to praise this great God who is sovereign and who provides perfectly. So let's pray. God, I thank you that even when it seems like there's no hope and no answer, and that you're nowhere to be found. You are working in the lives of those who know you. I pray, God, for every single person here, if they know you, I pray, remind them, comfort them that you are here, that you are who you say you are, even when life just feels awful. And I pray for anyone here that does not know you, humble their hearts and show them you are their only hope through faith. God, I I pray for everyone in the Midwest. I pray, I don't know what you're doing or why this happened, but I pray you will use the, the tornadoes, the damage, the loss, everything, ultimately to show that you are a holy God. Thank you. I pray you will bless this offering. Jesus, I pray this in your name. Amen.